everybody, how's it going? This is Hub, and welcome back to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. As I believe I just mentioned, I'm Hub, and normally that's just something I say, but I honestly can't remember if I just mentioned that I'm Hub. Um, Yeah, so you remember last week how I started off by telling you I felt like garbage? Good news, I felt better. Bad news, then I felt worse. So I'd like to apologize in advance for the upcoming synopsis. I had a pretty bad fever and was pretty out of it when I wrote it and haven't got a chance to go back and look at it again. And frankly, I'm also pretty out of it now. So sorry about that. Maybe it'll be fine. I know Willie Nelson wrote like seven songs in one night when he was in a fevered state. But to be fair, I'm no Willie Nelson. Oh, also... You know, I wrote the song Crazy for Patsy Cline. I originally had the lyrics to that were stupid, not crazy, which I kind of like. Um, yeah, I don't really remember where I was going with that. So, tell you what, without any further ado, let's, uh, do this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Devin Tuhey. If Doc Strange swapped forms with Murdoch, he might fight Wilson Fisk, but if he swapped forms with me, he'd read the synopsis. Synopsis. Thanks, Devin. Defenders number 19, January 1975. Doomball. And man, check out the lineup of creators on this thing. Scripted by Chris Claremont, plotted by Len Wein, drotted by Sal Buscema, inked by Klaus Jansen, and with colors by Bill Mantlo. Man. Defensive lineup. Doctor Strange. The Incredible Hulk. Power Man. Nighthawk. Wrecking Crew Roll Call, The Wrecker, Thunderball, Piledriver, Bulldozer, previously in The Defenders. Valkyrie finally made good on a threat to embark on a sojourn of self-discovery. She packed up her magic sword and skedaddled off to Vermont, where she got mixed up in some weapons-grade nonsense about her dad, a cosmic harmonica, and some Asgardian assholes. Bye, Val! Hulk got mad that Val left and decided it was probably time for his bi-monthly angry departure from The Defenders. Bye, Hulk! Hulk's abrupt absence came as a shock to billionaire-do-well playboy Kyle Richmond, a.k.a. Nighthawk, who had just purchased Hulk a prohibitively expensive adamantium chair. Looks like someone hasn't been reading the minutes from our titular non-teams meetings. But our bird-beaked billionaire-do-well didn't have much time to dwell on being surprised by unsurprising surprises because he received a call from his long-suffering business manager, Pennysworth, who informed him that property owned by Richmond Enterprises was being destroyed by a group of construction worker-themed supervillains named The Wrecking Crew. Surprise! Pennysworth went on to inform his avian apparelled employer that he had hired some extra security to ensure the protection of the remaining Richmond Enterprises owned property, which was still in the process of being constructed downtown. Steve and Kyle figured they'd better check things out themselves, and the remaining duo of defenders deployed themselves in a downtownward direction. Upon arriving at the construction site, the pair of privileged protectors ran into the extra security Pennysworth had hired. Luke Cage, Power Man! Hooray! The mandatory misunderstanding-inspired metahuman melee ensued, but the do-gooder on do-gooder Donnybrook was interrupted when the property our pugilism-prone protagonists were purportedly protecting got blown up by the wrecking crew. Whoops. Luke Cage decided to team up with the defenders as they squared off against the building blowing up bad guys. Before the two teams tussled, the wrecking crew decided to exercise their villainous prerogative to share their origin. Fair enough. 
Once upon a time, there was an evil construction worker named The Wrecker. His favorite crowbar got struck by magic lightning, which gave him godlike powers. He did some crime. Then Thor used electricity to take his powers away, and he went to jail. Then he and a bunch of his jail buddies broke out of prison, found his old crowbar, and held it at the same time. The crowbar got struck by some more magic lightning, and now they all have godlike powers. The end. The defenders and the wrecking crew fought each other. The wrecking crew mentioned that they were looking for something in the rubble of the destroyed building. The Hulk rejoined the defenders and helped them fight the wrecking crew. The tide of battle seemed to be turning in our hero's favor and the bad guys were about to run away when one of the baddies, Thunderball, excitedly announced that he had found the container the crew was searching for. But his excitement soon turned to dismay when the implausibly origined antagonist realized that the container he unearthed was empty. But that means that the missing object is... Gasp. Missing. That changes everything. Gadzooks. What could have motivated the removal of this missing MacGuffin? How long will we have to wait before the nature of the missing object is finally revealed? And, before the defenders crashed their scavenger hunt, who were the Wrecking Crew's previous archenemies? Stay tuned to find out. Okay, so, a misplaced youthful enthusiasm for baseball. One panel. And, intellectual property theft, corrupt corporate culture, and unfair patent laws. Hmm. Everyone takes a few minutes out of their respective punch em ups with their counterparts from opposite moral alignment to politely listen as Thunderball explains that the missing MacGuffin is, in fact, a gamma bomb that he invented. The fight is put on hold while Thunderball waxes nostalgic about his backstory for several pages of exposition. Classic supervillain shit. It seems a few years ago, Thunderball was a brilliant, successful nuclear physicist who was often referred to as the Black Bruce Banner, partly because his field of study was gamma radiation, partly because he was black, and likely partly because his actual surname Franklin drew some unfortunate parallels along the lines of tokenism to the Peanuts character. He may have also had a penchant for beans or unintentional shorts. The story glosses over that part. Anyway, the man who would be Thunderball was at the time employed by, wait for it, Richmond Enterprises. Huh. So, property development, writing academies, and nuclear weapons. That's a pretty diverse portfolio you got there, Nighthawk. Thunderball invented a tiny softball-sized gamma bomb that was ten times more powerful than the one developed by his Caucasian counterpart. When he took the device to his boss, some guy named Pennysworth, huh? Huh? The bean-counting bureaucrat hamburgled his intellectual property, claiming that legally, if not ethically, all inventions developed during his work-for-hire employment by the corporate megalith belonged to Marvel Comics. I mean Richmond Enterprises. Pennysworth then filed all patents for the device in the company's name and fired the fiscally unfortunate physicist, leaving him penniless and sparking his subsequent supervillainy. Dr. Franklin swore revenge and determined to steal his invention back from his corporate oppressors. But he did a bad job. A really bad job. Some security guards surprised him, and he dropped the device into a vat of molten steel that happened to be lying around. Fortunately, the bomb was sealed in a casing made of solid adamantium, so it didn't immediately blow up the planet. Hooray? The desperate Dr. Franklin was arrested, and Richmond Enterprises decided not to fish the bomb out of the steel, but rather to just go ahead and build buildings out of the molten metal. 
See, this is what happens when your CEO is a reformed Hamburglar who spends all his time dressed up like a bird buying $4 billion furniture for his new clubhouse. Thunderball went to jail, met up with a wrecking crew, escaped, and vowed to wreck the buildings he thought his invention might be inside of until he found the displaced doomsday device. Okay. Steve asks if Thunderball can rig up a science gizmo to find the bomb. Thunderball goes, sure, no problem. You know what else I can do? Signal my buddies in the wrecking crew to sucker punch the defenders and knock them out. Then he does the second thing, and presumably goes off to do the first one. The defenders woke up a few minutes later. Some cops tried to arrest them, but Steve does what Steve does and erases their memory. Just as Thunderball has apparently rigged up a science thingy to track the bomb, Doctor Strange rigs up a mystical Geiger counter to track the magic in Wrecker's crowbar. Clever. A homeless guy accosts Steve and asks for a quarter. Hulk is about to smash the poor fella when Steve intervenes. Apparently, after living in New York City for most of his life, this is the first time Stephen Strange has heard of homelessness, and he thinks it is just terrible. He uses his weird and eldritch powers to steal a banquet table from the nearby plaza and decrees that tonight the hobo shall dine like a king. Hooray! Well, guess that settles the homelessness problem. Well done, Steve. Meanwhile, the wrecking crew has tracked down the gamma bomb to a nearby Harlem boys club. A kid named Joey runs outside and informs Power Man that a bunch of douchebag supervillains just busted in and started threatening the kids. Shitty. Hey, you don't suppose that could be the wrecking crew, do you? Yup. Well, what are the odds? The defenders Kool-Aid man their way through the boys club wall. Everybody fights everybody. Most notably, Luke Cage beats up Piledriver... After a little back and forth, the green Bruce Banner smashes the crap out of the black Bruce Banner, and an overmatched Nighthawk uses the two most powerful forces in comic books, Judo and Magnets, to overcome his oversized foe, Bulldozer. Then Steve does something he threatened to do last issue and sucks all the magic out of the Wrecker's crowbar, leaving the construction-themed Crumbum and his KO'd cronies powerless. Hooray! Only perhaps not so hooray. Because what about that pesky gamma bomb that could go off any second? Well, turns out that the children from the Harlem Boys Club found the device and had been smacking it around with a baseball bat. Okay. It seems one of the adorable Moppets found a heavy metal technologically advanced thingamabob and decided, hey, this is round, it's probably a baseball. What the actual fuck, Joey? Okay. Let's put the threat of nuclear or gamma annihilation off the table for a second. Even then, a softball-sized hunk of metal would make a terrible baseball. Even if you could get the thing over the plate, you'd probably break your damn arm if that bat made contact. Boo! Plus, you've got a bat and a glove. The ball's like the least expensive piece of equipment you need for the game. Man... I blame the diarrhea song on kids having a faulty grasp of the fundamentals of the game. I'll, I'll explain that at the end. Steve grabs the ball from Joey's not knowing what a goddamn baseball looks like hand, and the thing starts ticking. Uh-oh. If only they had a brilliant gamma scientist around to defuse the device. Well, I mean, sure, but Thunderball's taking a fist-induced snooze right now, and what are the odds of there being two brilliant gamma scientists around on the same block? Oh, right. In this particular scenario, I'd have to say 100%. Steve hypnotizes the Hulk into turning back into the 
Caucasian Dr. Franklin, as I assume he was sometimes called, magically steals him a nuclear scientist set of lockpicks from a nearby military base, and stands back as Bruce Banner does some Chris Claremont-scripted hand-wringing and introspection, and diffuses the bomb. Hooray! Then he turns back into the Hulk for no apparent reason. Double hooray! Then Luke Cage quits the team. Aww. He's pretty bummed, because he figures that since the building he was guarding blew up, Richmond Enterprises probably isn't going to pay him. If only there were a CEO from that company nearby who could smooth things over. Huh? Huh? Damn it, Kyle. You think Steve could have at least teleported him a sandwich or something? The end. Oh, the diarrhea baseball thing? Okay, you know that song, the when you're sliding into first and your pants start to burst diarrhea? That always pissed me off, because that's terrible base running. You don't slide into first. You run through first. Shit like that that has Joey not knowing what a goddamn baseball looks like. Terrible. Just terrible. And joining us once again is my good-for-many-things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going pretty great. It's a beautiful sunny day here. We're not getting rained on, and I read a fun comic book. Agreed. This comic was a goddamn delight. Yep. I, I had so much fun, and damn... Talk about your murderer's row of fucking creative 1970s comic book talent. Mm. You got a story that is plotted by Len Wein, mm-hmm. scripted by Chris Claremont, mm-hmm. drawn by Sal Buscema. Yep. The fucking colorist is Bill Mantlo, who is one of my favorite 70s and 80s comic book writers. He wrote the whole 75-issue run of ROM that I love. No shit. Yeah. Oh. He also had really cool runs on, like, Alpha Flight and just did a ton of, like, fill-in comics for, like, Marvel Team-Up and stuff. Hmm. Created uh, Rocket Raccoon in the pages of, I believe that was for the Incredible Hulk. And then on the cover, you've got Gil Kane and Joe Sennett doing the inks. A veritable who's who. It really is. Unfortunately, I didn't like the cover very much. Uh, it, it's not a bad picture, but it didn't, I feel, match the interior art very much. And some of the perspectives are off. Like, it looks like Bulldozer is a ton bigger than the rest of the Wrecking Crew. Like a giant... And they've all got Spider-Man eyes, you know, where they just don't have any pupils, and it's like they're masks. Lucha Libre eyes. Yeah. I guess they should have used the one where the bomb is missing instead as the cover. That was a pretty funny panel. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, the very first one that we open up with, it really looks as though Thunderball is saying, Look at my nuts! <laughs> and everybody has a look on their face like, Seriously, what the fuck is up with those things? Shock, horror, oh, anger. Boy. It's I mean, he's holding them up higher than you would your actual testicles. Sure. I would imagine. Uh, uh, but maybe, maybe that's part of the part of the shock. And it could horror. be very old and we just don't know it. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah, hitting it blue right out of the gate. <laughs> okay. Um but yeah, it is Thunderball holding the empty casing of what turns out to be a tiny gamma bomb that mm-hmm. he has built. Uh, but he's holding it out right in front of him and just has this, yeah, everybody is reacting with just shock and horror and confusion as he holds this this empty casing, which when it's split in half looks kind of testicular. <laughs> Pretty good. But the picture itself is great. And really, the, the art in this, I really like. We, we've talked about it before, but I think Klaus Janssen is my favorite person who inks Busema on these and it really adds a different touch to the artwork and it's one that i really appreciate so 
The first thing we are struck by is the fact that the issue is called Doom Ball. And it says on the front... They have to call it that. Or the no it says, the story we just had to call Doom Ball. Bah, 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 bah. Why? Why they, did they have to call it that? They had to call it that for a couple reasons. Okay. One is that the bomb, the gamma bomb, is a little ball. Okay, that fair enough. That was the doom of the whole city. Sure. And the second is that the kid who's got the ball is treating it like a softball. Sure. Third. Yes. Wrecking Ball gets his ball destroyed. Sure. So, that's three reasons. His name's not Wrecking Ball. Shit, what is his name? Thunderball. Thunderball. Oh, that's so much better. It really is. But yeah, it, it says it like Doomball. Well, that's a phrase you all know. No. It's a real Doomball of a problem. Like, how do you even... I don't even know. Yeah. Like, I think maybe it sounds like it might have been like a Rollerball sequel. Hmm. That's a good movie. I remember being super excited about that as a kid, but then, like, feeling like I was kind of missing. I think as a kid you probably were. It's, I mean, it's the 70s type of action movie where it's slow pacing mm -hmm. and a lot of, like, political intrigue and uh, attacks on capitalism. Mm. Where it's a really good movie and there are scenes of, like, action and stuff, but it's sold to you as this super exciting action movie and it's a very 70s slow-paced action movie for the most part. Interesting. I remember but I really liked it and then they made a really dumb remake of it in the 90s that had a little cool chase that was uh really fun but not very good. Oh. I guess that's why they had to call it Doom Ball. No Deep Blue Sea. Yeah. Oh boy. I was just talking about that. We can't go into Deep Blue Sea right now. I'm sorry, Corey. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Your loss. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, Chris Claremont takes over the writing chores for this issue. I think it's just for this one. Hmm. It's plotted by Len Wein and then scripted by Chris Claremont. So I think the way that breaks down is if they were using the traditional Marvel method of comic book creation, then Len Wein would sit down with Sal Buscema and they would talk about what the general story was going to be and how they wanted it laid out. And then Sal Buscema would draw the whole thing. And then at that point, Chris Claremont came in and just filled in the word bubbles. Mm. And it's pretty seamless. It works really well. I really dug it. You get a lot of Claremont's like kind of purple prose, which I think fits in pretty well with this art. And it was pretty fun. So a lot of times the, the sound effects are part of the artwork so who do you think is responsible for coming up with the plethora of delightful sound effects in this issue is gosh claremont i'm, I'm not sure i'm tempted to say that it's claremont just because it really it's a different writer and it stands out how many sound effects there are and what interesting noises they make and the fact that claremont likes to write out accents phonetically would make it make sense to me that the sound effects would also be things like that that he would just be like and then this makes this noise but yeah there are a ton of super fun sound effects in this one but like i said that's all supposition on my part i don't know for sure which way that broke down but man there are some great ones yeah but, i love that the sound effects are really part of the artwork and the action that's taking place in these panels it's nice it makes it really seamless that's part of what's great about comic books as a medium is mm -hmm. just you lose track of which is which mm -hmm. um and that's pretty fun. So, about the story itself, mm -hmm. Thunderball. Mm. Make some interesting decisions in this. 
in terms of this like wardrobe or what you invent? Oh boy. Or where, uh, where are across we going? the board. Let's start <laughs> off with the first thing that he kind of does, which is he finds the adamantium casing for his bomb mm-hmm. that was in the building. Yep. Because he had dropped it in some molten steel. I dropped a bomb. Oops, I dropped a bomb. <laughs> I love his editorializing. It's so good. But even before that, we get the fact that he finds the shell casing. He's just been slugging it out with the defenders. Mm-hmm. He and his crew have been going toe to toe. Destroying all the buildings in New York to find right. the one that contained his bombshell. Sure. And they've been fighting the crap out of the defenders. And then there's this break in the action where he finds this thing and it's like horrifying. It's just like, oh shit. Mm. And Doctor Strange says, well, what's the deal? And his response is, okay, I guess you've got a right to know. And then launches into like four pages of exposition that starts off with, my story began a few years ago. <laughs> He's just been waiting to tell that to somebody other than the Wreckers. Man, he had that thing just locked and loaded and goes into full-on cutscene mode at the drop of a hat. I think he is just very uncomfortable being a super villain and wants everybody to know that he was a scientist with a lab coat and a respectable <laughs> job and he invented some cool shit. Destructive, yes, but, you know, very tiny. As a matter of fact, they used to call him the Black Bruce Banner. Yeah. And with good reason. Mm-hmm. I really wanted him to say, because he says, because he does say that. He says, they used to call me the Black Bruce Banner. And for good reason, I made a new gamma bomb. I wanted him to follow up that by saying, and I'm black. <laughs> but he didn't. And so, yeah, it launches into this crazy story where, yeah, he, uh, he invents a miniaturized version of the gamma bomb that Bruce Banner had developed. Mm-hmm. Makes it the size of a softball. 20 times more powerful. I think it's only 10 times more powerful. Uh, Either way, it's pretty powerful. Yeah. And then gets into like a little bit of like patenting law and like work for hire shit, which I think might have been Claremont taking some digs at the comic book industry, Mm. where any work that he does while he's working for this company is then owned by the company, and he is shit out of luck, despite the fact that the company is going to make millions off of this work that he developed for them. And that's a real thing. I have, yeah. And my I used to work for a large corporation, and they basically had that same agreement that if you come up with any brilliant shit on the clock, they own it. Yeah, that's that's not cool, man. Mm-hmm. Good thing I didn't come up with any brilliant shit. Nice work. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm sticking it to the man. I didn't realize you worked for Richmond Enterprises. Well, it's a subsidiary. <laughs> Aren't they all? Mm. But that does bring in pennies worth. I had previously been feeling bad for Pennysworth, kind of. I thought of. he was okay. I thought he was, I thought of him as like a long-suffering employee, kind of like an Alfred to Nighthawk's Batman. Mm. And just like, oh, he's got this boss who's always gallivanting around and is leaving him in charge and then we'll just have these crazy requests for him. Mm-hmm. And so I had really like sympathized for him because to just have your boss be like okay do whatever you're in charge of things but actually i'm in charge and you have to do all these projects but i have to make the final decision it's frustrating sure pennysworth comes across as a real dick i mean i guess he's doing it in service to the business but in that he really gave thunderball the business yep and is at least kind of indirectly responsible for all of this destruction i mean obviously thunderball made his own decisions and they were perhaps not wise ones. But yeah, Pennysworth seems like a real prick here. And I'm not sure if they're setting him up to be a like actual villain villain or just a ruthless business person. Mm. Yeah, it could go either way. He also 
wrote a pretty ironclad contract with Power Man in that Power Man apparently doesn't get paid if the buildings get destroyed. That's some bullshit, man. Yeah, it's like Power Man needs a better uh, contract lawyer or something. Well, he ends up having one later. Does he? Yeah. Oh, that's good. He when learned he teams, his lesson. Yeah, when he teams up with Iron Fist, he ends up getting, uh, I can't remember the dude's name, but he's a re- real piece of shit, but is like a super ruthless businessman who run their business interests. I think they end up having to like go toe-to-toe with him to a certain regard mm-hmm. later because like he's too good at business. But yeah, I'm not, like like I said, I'm not sure if this is supposed to be an indictment of Penny's Worth specifically or just of corporate culture in general. Mm, that's heavy, man. Yeah, I know. I'm very deep. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, then Thunderball goes and decides that he's going to steal his own technology. I don't know what he's going to do with it once he gets it back. Because it's not like if he just has it, then he'll own the patent for it and can sell it. Like... Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Maybe you can just take it and sell it. It's like, hey guys, look what I made. Yeah. One, I, one bomb. I guess, except for that Pennysworth had been really, like, fanatical about maintaining all of the copyright law and it's it's made clear by thunderball that all the patents had been filed in the business's name rather than his name i guess where it's something like a gamma bomb if he is a unscrupulous person he could probably just make a lot of money selling that and the technology to foreign agents or something like that well he also admits in his exposition that this was one in a series of errors that he had made. Like, he didn't really think it through. I think it was a real emotional decision. He's like, I'm going to steal my shit back. So I'm going to put on some bright yellow gloves. <laughs> we can talk about that later. But yeah, his, his cat burglar outfit is fucking redonkulous. That is some crazy bullshit. I think maybe he had just watched movies and like, oh, okay, if you're a burglar, you got to wear gloves. Um, I've got these dish gloves. Yeah. These are the gloves that I have. Nope. Burglars need gloves. Mm-hmm. Gloves. Done. Yep. Outfit done. Th- there's another thing, too, when he's running through the the factory or whatever it is with the bomb that he's stolen back and the security guys are following him and he editorializes you know, I was not an athlete, and they easily caught me. I'm like, wait a minute, I've just seen you, like, swinging around a 500-pound ball on a chain. Did well, they that's explain? after he got superpowers from... From the bar, the from crowbar. The, yeah, from the magic Asgardian crowbar. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, that was what makes him all powerful and shit. Before that, that he's just, like, a, a real... Nerd. A real Bruce Banner type. Yeah. A black Bruce Banner. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. And th- his lack of athleticism or possibly poor glove choice, is also responsible for him just butterfingering the shit out of his gamma bomb and dropping it into a vat of molten steel. I get that that happens, and then he gets arrested. It's odd to me that they obviously saw that he stole that. They were trying to stop him. Nobody at any point went looking for the fucking gamma bomb. They saw him drop it into the vat of molten steel. How is he the only person who gets the idea to look for it? Um, that's a good question. Thank you. The other unanswerable potentially question is, how did he hook up with the wrecking crew while in prison? Like, it seems odd that they would form this friendship and then escape. Because what, he's like, I like science. And they're like, we like wrecking stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I have never done serious time in prison, Corey. I know that's probably surprising to you. But from what I have gleaned, it is not a place traditionally where a lot of barriers like 
race, and socioeconomic backgrounds are easily transversed. Television has led me to believe the opposite. Yeah, that, me, me, me too. So it really speaks well of the Wrecking Crew that they decided like, oh, there's this black super science nerdy guy. We're a bunch of white blue collar thug criminals. Mm -hmm. Let's all be friends and escape together. Yeah. It makes me really like the Wrecking Crew. Yeah, good for them. Yeah. Breaking barriers, breaking buildings. <laughs> to the Wrecking Crew. To the Wrecking Crew. On the other hand, mm. the Wrecking Crew do a remarkably bad job of bullying some children. <laughs> Dude, that kid with the baseball bat is so badass. <laughs> a bunch of super villains break probably through the wall of your clubhouse. Mm -hmm. And you just grab a fucking stickball bat. It's like a miniature baseball bat. Like, like you would get at, like, free bat day at a Mets game or something. Mm -hmm. And he just smashes... Thunderball's detection device out of his hand and the dude is big and huge and hairy. I it, mean huge and scary. <laughs> yeah. The dude is big and huge and scary, and there's four of them, and they're clearly super villains. The kid's just like, fuck this shit. Literally smashes the device out of his hand and says, We ain't giving you nothing. <laughs> These are it's tough, man. Delightful. But also, like how bad is the Wrecking Crew's approach that, like, they don't manage to intimidate these guys at all? Mm -hmm. This is a bunch of kids. Even if you didn't try to intimidate them, even if you were just like, hey, uh, it looks like you have a bomb here that is super dangerous. Like, they didn't, like, play the adult card even at all. Mm -hmm. Like, we are grown-ups. You have something you should not have. We need it. Right, and Doctor Strange does that with the kid that's got the bomb, and the kid's like, oh, okay. Oh, shit, didn't yeah. know. Whoa, yeah, totally worked. Yeah, it's unfortunate that the Wrecking Crew does such a bad job that it really seems like their approach was to just bust into the door and just be, just, like, start screaming immediately, like, ah, give us the thing! Yeah. Ah! And, yeah, the kids push back, mm -hmm. and those kids are fucking rad. Yep. Those kids are also... Considering how devoted they are to the sport of baseball, it seems like they would want to use a regulation ball. Not a softball Not made a out of metal. Not a softball-sized <laughs> object that's made out of metal and technology. There are a couple of things at play there. First of all, finding an advanced piece of technology that you don't know what it is and saying, that's yeah, round, maybe we should hit it with a bat. Mm -hmm. That seems like a very bad idea. But even Dude. that aside, they've got bats and they've got gloves. Mm -hmm. Like, do they not have any baseballs? Is it just, like, anything we find that's round? Potentially. And also, I think you're giving too much credit to the to kid logic. You remember being a kid, right? Yeah. Kids are dumb as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, ah, oh, there's no reason not to, you know, do this stupid thing. <laughs> I am reminded of a story of your dad walking in when you were trying to get the metal shaky bit out of a can of spray paint yep. and just hitting a can of spray paint with a hammer repeatedly. Yes. Yeah, that's... <laughs> but I get the... I'm not the only kid that did that. I would... No, I also did dumb things. I mean, nothing leaps to mind right now. But... <laughs> But you're right. Yeah, kids do dumb shit. That isn't necessarily a flaw in this story as much as it is a flaw in pupa stage humanity. <laughs> yeah, that's. I think that's a fair statement. 
One of the other super things that happens in this issue is a man accosts Doctor Strange looking for some change. Ah, yes. The Hulk has a reaction to that. The Hulk's response is, You're attacking Doctor Strange! And, like, picks up this panhandler by the scruff of his neck as though he were a kitten. Yep. And is about to probably kill the man. Or smash a little bit. I don't think you can lightly smash an actual human being if you are the Hulk. Seems to happen a lot. Does he smash any humans? Oh, I guess just the supervillains. Yeah. Mm, so they're t- more durable. Yeah, because mm. they got uh, they touched a magic crowbar. That's right. That's right. That was not very cool. Of no. Hulk to do that. Doctor Strange's reaction is fucking extraordinary, though. It sure is. And in character with Doctor Strange, I think it is a reaction that is certainly in sy- sympathetic to the man, but also speaks to his privilege. I think. The fact that when he is confronted with a homeless person, his reaction is shock and outrage that homelessness exists, despite the fact that he has lived in New York City his whole life. (laughs) And then he's like, I will use my incredible powers to fix this. You now have a banquet meal. (laughs) Yeah. It's very much a let them eat cake. Although he does go the extra step of, and here is some cake. I see what you're saying. I think that... It would have been more in keeping with Doctor Strange's character to just mind wipe the guy and walk <laughs> off. I think he was feeling remarkably generous. I think that's true, but I think this is a good way to make Doctor Strange a more likable character, but without erasing his arrogance and just basic not understanding of the way things work for people who do not have his outrageous levels of both magical and monetary privilege. Tonight you shall eat like a king. (laughs) It's great. (laughs) And he just teleports this banquet from the plaza onto the sidewalk for this guy and then walks off. Mm -hmm. That is a very Doctor Strange way to deal with the homelessness situation. Is to over-concentrate on what is directly in front of you and then be like, And now I'm done. Problem solved. I used my magic to fight homelessness. I thought it was great. And it, uh... Totally delighted me. It's a regular Robin Hood. Yeah. I mean, assuming that the Ritz or the Plaza or wherever that food came from is... Is rich. I think that's a safe assumption. Had a pretty rich look. There was candle, those tall candles on the table. Right. I like to... I I think also very in keeping with Doctor Strange's character is the general assumption that no one will miss it. (laughs) (laughs) I think he literally says, I don't think the Plaza will miss one meal. It's like, you took their table and all of their stuff. I don't think that's going to go unnoticed, and probably somebody's going to lose their job for that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, (laughs) what about the hospitality worker? Like, that job probably kind of sucks. Yeah, but he also probably needs that job. Some dude making minimum wage is going to come out and be like, here's the refill for the, oh, shit. (laughs) And then his boss is going to be like, what did you do with the table? He's like, I swear it just disappeared, (laughs) boss. Fired. Sure it did. Sure it did. Boom. That's another person that Doctor Strange is going to have to teleport a banquet for. <laughs> oh, vicious cycle. We get another scene in which Doctor Strange uses his powers to drink a magic milkshake. We do? When he fights the Wrecker. I mean, I guess he doesn't slurp it all up, but it is shocking to me to see a, st- a scene in which Steve appears to be standing physically toe-to-toe with a powerhouse like the Wrecker. But what he is doing is focusing on the magic that is in the crowbar and sending it 
back at him. But there were some interesting uses of Doctor Strange's powers in this book that I actually really appreciated and I thought made a fair amount of sense. It made me a little bit sad that I think this is the only Claremont scripted issue that we get. Mm. Because whenever you have magic powers, you have to find that right balance of this guy needs to be powerful and puissant, but it can't be in a way that solves all story problems ever and makes actual conflict still possible. Mm -hmm. And so he has Doctor Strange using his powers in ways that are almost exclusively teleportation of items from either one place to another or one dimension to another, and then refocusing the magical energy that's in the crowbar. It's done in a way that makes him seem powerful, but also doesn't seem like... And then he can just make everything do anything. Mm -hmm. No, it's possible. Yeah. The one hiccup in that, I thought, was... I wish there had been at least a line or something explaining why he couldn't just send the gamma bomb to a different dimension. That was my first thought when they found it. I was like, why doesn't he just zip it off to wherever he zips things off to? Yeah, especially when he had just done that with the mystical crowbar. Mm -hmm. Like, why don't you just send it to that place? Like, send it to the exact same place, and then maybe when it blows up, it'll destroy the crowbar. And then, boom, no more wrecking crew. Yeah. Oh, this seems like a good idea. Well. But like I said, I wish there had been like a line where it's just like, this device is too dangerous. I can't send it someplace where the repercussions won't be felt. Or I've expended too much mystical energy this night. Now I'm spent and I can't teleport shit for another five minutes and it's going to go off soon. You know? There's usually some way they can write. Yeah. And I, I think I wish there had been that there. Because otherwise, I'm nitpicking a little bit, but that that was that was a little bit. I think we saw Steve at his, at his best in yeah, this issue. Yeah, I, I agree. He even acknowledges that basically putting the Hulk to sleep and bannerizing him and then letting him wake up again was perhaps not his wisest decision. <laughs> so when the Hulk starts to wake up, he's, he's, he kind of whispers, Oh no! <laughs> it is nice that we get to see Bruce Banner. Like, I don't think we've seen him since that issue where we find out that Steve owns a fedora. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I guess probably there's a different way to phrase that. Maybe other people view that issue differently. <laughs> <laughs> that but I crux. view the one where they fight Dormammu in Rutland, Vermont. I think of that issue as this issue in which we find out that Stephen Strange owns a fedora. But yeah, I don't think we'd seen Bruce Banner since then. And it was kind of nice to see him. It was also a little bit surprising. There's... The Wrecking Crew beat everybody up and knocked them out. You would think when he was unconscious, he would revert to Bruce Banner. Mm -hmm. But he didn't. But then later, when Stephen Strange makes him fall asleep, then he reverts to Bruce Banner. But then almost immediately after he's done defusing the bomb, turns back to the Hulk. It's because he was flooded with adrenaline when he was knocked out by the Wrecking Crew. Okay. And so that kept him green while he was sleeping. Okay. Doctor Strange did some weird shit to him to make him calm down and turn into Bruce Banner. He got so frustrated when he was trying to fix that stupid little bomb, that's why he hulked out again. Okay, I am maybe starting to develop. It's always been a little bit troubling for me the amount of time that the Hulk is the Hulk and is not Bruce Banner in these issues. It seems like he's always the Hulk. Well, I think there's maybe a reason for that. There's that throwaway punchline in the Avengers movie where his he's like, you know my secret, I'm always angry. Well, I think that's kind of dumb. But, on the other hand, if you are hanging out with Stephen Strange the whole time, there's a a pretty (laughs) good chance that he is always angry. And then, like, once he he recognizes that Doctor Strange is his friend, then he's just like, 
I mean, I think you've probably got friends like that. I know I have had friends like that where it's like, I know this is coming from a good place. He's a good guy, but he's just fucking irritating. <laughs> inner, the inner turmoil that you experience processing. Yeah, but... and and so I think in that sense, it's it's nice that Stephen Strange and the Hulk are teammates mm. because it keeps the Hulk the Hulk. That is funny. Because otherwise, Bruce Banner would be like, <laughs> Always kind of like being a Steve Strange apologist. Like, I know he seems like a privileged dick, but no, seriously, guys, he's, once you get to know him, he's got a really good heart. One time I saw him teleport this entire banquet for this guy who just asked for a nickel. What lousy nickel. Well, was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we get into the minutiae? Uh, just one last thing, which is I like that in this issue, on two separate occasions, the word crud is used as an insult for a person. Oh, yeah. Like, you crud. And I don't recall hearing it used like that before. No, it's different. And uh, I I also enjoyed that. Good call. Thank you. As we don't have zingers in this, I, I, I did want to <laughs> squeeze that squeeze that in there. Good call. Well noted. Well, would you like to get to the minutia? Let's. Rick, why don't you sing us in? We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you feel like hitting up first? Oh, there's so many sounds. Let's talk about sounds. Okay. Boy, howdy. There's a lot of them. Let's start with the ones that, because I wrote a bunch down. Did you write a bunch down? I, I have five. Were there any that, like, yeah, they're cool-sounding ones, but I don't really have a ton to say about them? Because I got a couple. Like, there's a scoom, mm. which which is a fun noise. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got a splacked, which mm-hmm. I thought was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. That's the pile driver getting knocked into a wall. Yeah. Were, were there any others that are like that, that it's just like, oh, that's cool, but I don't have a ton to say about it other than that's cool? I do have a few. Pretty much also to note, all the ones I wrote down happened in the fight scene with Thunderball between pages 16 and 17. Like, that was just a treasure trove of goofy sounds. <sighs> it really was. It was also, there were some great fight scenes there. Yep. So, on that one, page 16, the noise that Thunderball's Thunderball makes when it's thrown at high speed uh-huh. is... Pretty good. I think. Yeah, just a bunch of S's and then A's. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, that's really evocative. That is what it would sound like, I think. Having this enormous, quasi-mystical wrecking ball. Yeah. Sah! I think it would make, like, a bass-heavier sound. Like, wang. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, it's going real fast, is the idea. I see. I think my favorite one that just, it didn't make sense to me that it would make that noise. And it would just, like, it set me in this weird thought loop. Is there's a scene where Luke Cage punches pile driver the noise that his punch makes is punt mm-hmm. it's like wait that's haven't we seen that before i feel like we've seen a punt before possibly but i feel like that would be maybe like it just so it is tied with kicking the fact something. that yeah like kicking something is called a punt mm-hmm. but he punches something and it makes the noise punt and i just could not wrap my mind all the way around that maybe it was to illustrate that the wrecking crew guy was super like made out of like so hard to be like it was hitting metal or something it was making like right Punk. yeah i get that it it was just yeah i i now want a punch to make the noise kick and a kick to make the noise punch ah <laughs> oh, that's confusing yeah mm. yeah it was but i i really enjoyed that i liked the noise of stopping thunderball's thunderball that hulk i think he just reaches up and kind of palms it and it makes the noise thump thump 
That one is really cool, and it's yeah, it's that's written on the outside of the wrecking ball mm -hmm. as he catches it. It's a really cool panel, and then there's a really cool series of panels where it's crush, but like a bunch of K's, a bunch of R's, and a bunch of ushes uh, over the course of like six panels of the Hulk contracting his fist He's and turning so this this mystical wrecking ball into like crumbled concrete. And poor Thunderball. Yeah. You see his face after that, and he just has little tiny letters saying, Oh, good lord. <laughs> poor fella. I mean, sure, he did a bad job intimidating children, but poor fella. This is a, one of the most likable criminals we've come across in this. <laughs> he really is. And like I said, it's by proxy. You end up with an appreciation for the whole Wrecking Crew through that. Mm -hmm. uh, through this unlikely animal friendship. <laughs> Except maybe... Maybe Bulldozer. Yeah. I don't know. I mean... Maybe it, it's a stupid metal helmet. It is a stupid metal helmet. Guy bugs me. Yeah, I get that. I think for, for whatever reason, I maybe have enough, like, residual good feelings towards Ram Man no. that it doesn't bother me as much with Bulldozer. Piledriver is the one that I keep thinking of is just like, eh, kind of fuck that guy. Yeah, that guy's a jerk. But he gets his jaw. I don't oh, know if man, you're going to talk all, about They that. all get their just desserts. He, but his jaw in the scene in which Power Man punches him in the face, like, his face is wrapping around Power Man's fist to a degree. The way that it's drawn, it looks super gnarly. Yeah. Yeah. He's got he's got a very punchable face. Yeah. Oh, there's that German word for that. Oh, really? Yeah. Face in need of a punching is the literal oh. translation for it. Good gravy. There is also a punch that makes a really cool noise in this that is PAM! That's I think that scene. is, yeah, that's the scene where he gets hitched, but I love the idea that it's not a word that is not an onomatopoeia. Like, I can see a punch making a pam, or like an impact making a pam noise, but the fact that it is a name that I, like, associate with Midwestern women, mm -hmm. pam, mm -hmm. <laughs> it really cracks me up. Yeah, yeah, that is a goofy one. There is a scene in which Nighthawk flips, jams his jetpack onto Bulldozer's back mm -hmm. and sends him flying skyward, at which point the engine's cut out and then he plummets back to Earth. Mm -hmm. Cool scene, cool move by Nighthawk. Definitely. But that makes the noise, putt, 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 putt. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, it's really great. I really enjoyed that, too. I had my, oddly enough, suspension of disbelief in that particular scene was challenged by the fact that the reason Nighthawk was able to, you know, so deftly snap the jetpack onto Bulldozer's back uh -huh. is due to these magnets. Right. Like, how strong do those fucking magnets have to be if you can have rockets, like, shoot a 300-pound dude 100 feet into the air? Corey, they're very strong magnets. As established in the Marvel Universe, magnetism is the most powerful force known to man. Oh, good and point. And it can That's do true. anything. That's true. I, for, I Also, magnets can be very powerful. I find it very funny that that is the point that <laughs> that, that is just like, nope, there is no way. It strained my credulity. <laughs> it, it really does drive home that you are, in some ways, your father's son. I remember <laughs> watching... One of the, I think the la the final Batman movie with Jim, or talking about it with him, and his entire takeaway from that whole movie was, you cannot recover from a knee injury that quickly. <laughs> that was like, nothing else in the movie bothered him in terms of suspension of disbelief, mm. and 
he also could not enjoy the rest of the movie because of the fact that knee injuries take longer than that to recover from. Yeah, weak magnets, knee injuries. <laughs> runs in the Whitney family. There is one other sound effect that I think is probably my favorite one. Uh, and it's Bathoom! That was my favorite too! It was so great! And the fact that Thoom is all squiggly letters and the B is like regular letters. Yeah. Very evocative. It, it works really, really well. And it really, like, you can see, like, it's like the wind up and the delivery and the hit and then the results of it all in that one word. And it's really great. It yeah. made me feel bad for Thunderball, though. Yeah. Man, did that dude get punched. <laughs> he sure did. Hulk was so mad. <laughs> On the other hand, it really does stand to his credit that he was able to go toe-to-toe with the Hulk for as long as he did. Most powerful guy we got. Yeah. The Hulk. Nice work. All right. In this issue, who just had to be a sucker? This was a challenge for me. And our previous conversation about Strange's motivation on solving homelessness right. has poked some serious holes in the logic that I had hoped to employ for oh, my sucker. I'm sorry. Which was Doctor Strange. Okay. I thought somebody's bogging him and he's got shit to do. He's just going to be like, like, you're gone. Like, just <laughs> like mind wipe the guy and, and move along. But I don't know. Your point was good because I do think he came away with that. I was like, I'm so good. I've solved homeless things. <laughs> but also the, the just, I think the idea that homelessness had never occurred to him before. The yeah. idea that people might be poor or hungry is very much in keeping with his like it last hour offensive to him too because yeah. he was, he has this whole spiel about like we're the wealthiest nation in the world it's inconceivable that somebody could go hungry here's a banquet <laughs> right, right. It, it very much reminds me of there was recently like an aaron sorkin story where he was just like i never realized that uh minorities were underrepresented in the media oh <laughs> somebody should do something about that hmm. But yeah, it had very much that flavor to it. And I feel that that is really in keeping with Doctor Strange's character. And that's a, that's a good point. But I, what I was grasping at was this theme of him kind of rebelling against authority in the sense that, like, he's always had this high and mighty thing going on, of course, because right. he's Doctor Strange. But in this issue, A, he freezes cops. Sure. Just because it's an inconvenience to like tell them <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> I was like, oh, they'll wake up later and remember nothing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Right. And then he steals this banquet to give to this homeless guy because he's like, fuck those rich people. They don't need it. And it seemed really, like, if you think about it like that, not in keeping with his I I can understand that. But in retrospect, Uh, faulty logic. I, I understand where you're coming from. And it does make sense the way that we have seen him specifically portrayed. You don't have an invalid reading of it. I just had a different one of his actions. Well, that's very kind of you. I decided to go with the Hulk. The Hulk. Because he hates being turned into Bruce Banner, and the Hulk hates Bruce Banner, and is always talking shit about puny Banner. Mm-hmm. When he gets back from being Bruce Banner and turned into the Hulk, his reaction to Doctor Strange is, I feel very out of character for the Hulk. He starts to get pissed and goes, did Magician put Hulk to sleep? Doctor Strange says, yes, Hulk, I did, but don't be upset, my friend. It was done in a good cause. Your falling asleep helped save New York. And Hulk's response is, Oh, I don't feel that that is in keeping with the Hulk's character as a seething cauldron of rage. I know we've seen other sides of the Hulk in this, but the fact that he is that easily placated by Doctor Strange, I think is out of character for the Hulk. That seems fair. On the other hand, it was 
of masterful manipulation by Stephen Strange. Because he did two things. One, he put his hand on Hulk's shoulder and called him friend, which okay. already hits the friend sure. button. Sure. So Hulk's like, oh, Hulk, me, I like friends. And then the second thing he did is like, you saved the whole fucking city, man. Okay, then I think we can go back to your pick of Doctor Strange. <laughs> because him being good with people and reading an interpersonal situation that well is very much out of character for Doctor Strange. That's what I should have picked, the last <laughs> panel. Yeah. Sartorially speaking, what fashion choices in this issue do you feel are worth commenting on? Oh, man, this was a little bit of a rough one because to me, it this usually comes down to non not non-player characters, that's a D&D thing, to non-main characters. Sure. And so basically we had the kids in the boys' club. Right. And we had um, scientist version of Thunderball. Right. And uh, scientist slash stealing my bomb back version. Right, which I think his, his cat burglar outfit is pretty fucking spectacular. We talked about the gloves a little bit. Mm -hmm. The rest of his burglar outfit, I think he maybe he's colorblind. Like, maybe he had seen some burglar movies and was like, well, they wear turtlenecks and uh, and and they wear gloves. But he's got a purple turtleneck, mm -hmm. ye bright yellow gloves, and like burgundy pants. And like, kind of like fancy, shiny shoes. Like, it looked to me like this is the 70s, mid-70s. Sure. If you're getting ready to like, go to the disco, this is an outfit you would put on. But then he's like, nope, gotta steal my mom putting these dish gloves on. <laughs> Let's go. It was pretty good. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit, but you mentioned the kids. I think the kids' outfits are worth are worth commenting on. There's a couple of outfits that those kids have on. First of all, the one who steals a gamma bomb. Mm -hmm. I think maybe his theft was not as unintentional as one might assume. Mm. Do you know why? Why? He is wearing a purple and green shirt. I think that kid is a supervillain oh, in training. Oh, shit. It didn't occur to me. That's a clever observation. Yeah, he's uh, he's got purple and green on. He steals a doomsday device. That kid's got supervillain written all over him. Mm. There is another kid in that who has something written all over him. And he has the word Mets written on a pink t-shirt. I really like that that kid made his own Mets t-shirt. Yeah, yeah, he was cool. And then there was the other little guy that was the kind of like the chubby kid with the like a pink polo shirt. No, that was the kid that had Mets, Mets written on his he shirt. He had Mets written it? on his pink polo shirt? I think so. I know it was a pink shirt that had Mets on it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just he just made his own Mets shirt, and uh, it's pink, <laughs> and I like that. Nice. Pretty good. All right, let's get into the brass tacks of this. In this issue, who was the best defender? The best defender in this issue for saving the entire city is Bruce Banner. Oh, ho, ho. Seriously. Okay, I guess that's fair. For whatever reason, Doctor Strange couldn't teleport that shit away. We were left with only Bruce Banner with some tiny tools on a Harlem sidewalk, <laughs> diffusing the most dangerous bomb we got. Okay, he did do a pretty good job of that, and you're right in that regard. I went with, with Steve Strange. I, he just delighted me in this issue. I loved his response to the homelessness crisis. I uh... <laughs> Targeted, as it were. Yes, but he also teleported the Wrecker's crowbar to a pocket dimension. Mm -hmm. He stood toe-to-toe -to -toe with the Wrecker. And he was the only person in either side of the Wreckers or the Defenders who gave a shit that they were trashing the boys' club. Oh, and yeah. was worried, like... They're gonna kill the kids. ...about collateral damage. Both the property damage of these kids, we are destroying their... 
their boys club, and also they could be injured in this. We need to get this fight outside. Which again is kind of out of character for for Doctor Strange in a number of ways, Mm -hmm. but I really appreciated that. Yeah. Uh, So yeah, my choice went to Steve Strange. I agree. Bruce Banner did a very good job defusing the bomb, Mm -hmm. but he also almost did wreck that place and kill the kids. But he was hulked out. And he also almost killed a homeless guy for asking for a nickel. Again, hulked out. Yeah. Because he's the Hulk. Yeah. <laughs> you can't excuse all of his behavior for being the Hulk. He you just sort of have to. All right. Well, conversely, who was the worst offender in this issue? With the exception of the cool thing with the jetpack, yep. Nighthawk didn't do anything. Like, why was he even in that comic? Well, he he. I thought he did an okay job with the jetpack. He also did some aerial judo against Bulldozer. But I also had Nighthawk as my choice for worst offender. Because at no point did he say, hey, uh, Luke Cage, we'll see that you get paid. Yeah, why don't I call Penny's worth and fix this? Yeah, like I know it would be like maybe like he's maintaining his secret identity, but he could say like, I can make some calls and see if I can get you something. He bought a whole fucking writing academy for Valkyrie. Even if it wasn't through his company to maintain a secret identity, he could just say like, yeah, uh, I'll make sure you get paid for this, Luke Cage, Mm -hmm. because that is bullshit. Uh, and his company was also responsible for Thunderball getting ripped off. Mm-hmm. And he just doesn't seem to bear any responsibility for the things that his corporation's doing. So, fuck you, Kyle. Yeah. Nighthawk's the worst offender. All right. Now we're getting into the knit and grit of it. Favorite panel. There was a lot of delightful artwork in this. There um, really was. I had a few of them. I think saving favorite for last to like runner ups were both Doctor Strange related and okay. and the dialogue w- was kind of also part of what made each of these panels for me. Okay. One of them, which we've already talked about kind of a bunch, was on page ten. I called it Dying Like a King. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. He's doing crazy magic shit. And it looks really cool. It's once again, I think the Klaus Janssen inks are really bringing some gravitas to this scene of like just mystical might happening before the table teleports in. But yeah, it's really cool looking. So I had that one and then uh, another Doctor Strange one on page 27 when he comes to the realization that that uh, little Joey's softball is in fact the bomb. It's really the word bubbles. Like, the, the panel itself isn't super impressive. It's a bunch of people, like, running from a bird's eye view, top down. But he's just, it's just occurred to him. And he's like, by the best chance he knows, the softball! <laughs> like, he's losing his shit, and it's funny to me. I agree. Th- those are great. Uh, one of my favorites is on the page right before that, page 26, and it is Doctor Strange fighting for the mystical crowbar. Mm. It's just pretty badass looking. I really dug it. But my absolute favorite is the first page. Hey, everybody, look at my balls. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I really liked about the 80s Justice League comics with uh, that are drawn by Kevin Maguire is everybody's facial expressions. You can tell what they're thinking from them. Mm. And this is very similar. Uh, everybody's looking super muscly, but also people have real human expressions on their faces. I mean, over-exaggerated and, and grimaced, but they are conveying emotions with their faces and... It's really cool. And the Hulk's look of confusion, as opposed to everyone else's look of horror, mm-hmm. is great. Mm-hmm. And I, I really like it. And it's it's a nice group shot of everybody huddled around. And it's my favorite panel. 
That's a good choice. I like that one a lot, too. My favorite was from page 16, and it's it's actually, there's two panels, but I think they kind of go together, and it's called, uh, Pleased Hulk, like Hulk Pleased with Himself, (laughs) slash, um, Faceplant. Yeah, that is really good. We have discussed before how nice it is to see the Hulk pleased with himself. He is dodging the wrecking ball. Ha! Puny human's ball missed! Hulk is faster than puny humans, man with ball. Hulk is stronger. Hulk is... Pow! (laughs) Hulk is doing a goddamn face plant. Yeah, that is a nice bit of vaudevillian slapstick for Mm -hmm. the Hulk. Yep. But man, he gets his comeuppance in the next page when he crushes Thunderball's ball. Yep. Dang. Thunderball has some bad ball luck in this issue. (laughs) Sure does. (laughs) I think just in general, Thunderball should not put so much stock in round things Mm. seems to not work out well for him good point yeah favorite words i had a a toss-up on this to go to go goofy or or somber i had a similar and um i think i'm gonna go goofy i think we're going back to the popular page 10 with the whole dying like a king like it's really good but it it also is kind of gravitasy we live in the wealthiest nation on the earth, and men still go hungry. By the Vashanti, that must not be. Tonight, my friend, you will dine like a king. Very nice. Yeah. Thank you. I really liked that. I also really liked Steve Strange's speech on page 26. The softball! Oh, wait, no. Not no, that. that's the later <laughs> one. This is just Doc Strange bragging on Doc Strange. Mm. The wrecker says, No, it ain't possible. You're forcing my power back into me. You you ain't human. And Doctor Strange responds by saying, I am human, wrecker, and something more. I am Doctor Strange, and the mystic arts are mine to command. You have lost, wrecker, because you controlled nothing, least of all the power of a god. You were like a child playing with a loaded gun. Be thankful that it did not kill you pure strange yeah that's the strangest strange i did also love his line by the vashanti no the softball (laughs) pretty good yeah pretty good the there is one other bit of just a hint at the claremontian narrator that we get to meet more of later in the pages of the x-men there is a panel that is all black And it is before the Defenders regain consciousness after being sucker-punched by Mm. the Wrecking Crew. And the panel says, Night, eternal, dark, silence. The peace of dreamless sleep, of death, broken by noise. Cacophonous, unintelligible sounds skittering across his numb brain, drawing him back from the dark to light. That is just so fucking Claremont that... Mm -hmm. That's up there for me. Yeah. I I think overall I am going with uh, Strange's speech about how the wrecker sucks and he's like a kid who found a loaded gun. Mm -hmm. But I really did just kind of want to put a highlight on that Claremont where we only get him for one issue. Good shit. Good shit. All right. Well, this is a difficult one for me because I have already traversed this territory before with Lisa a couple of weeks ago. But... In January of 1975, 
besides waiting in line for Led Zeppelin tickets that mm-hmm. caused a riot, mm-hmm. and besides using Dr. Doom's time machine to go to a Home Depot and cut up some marble blocks that then inspired Erno Rubik to create a Rubik's Cube, Whoa. what else has Wong's way to the top <laughs> led him? I'm glad you chose to phrase it like that. So, as illustrated by him waiting in line for Led Zeppelin tickets. Sure. We wouldn't think so, but the man is a fan of rock music. Oh, yes. A big fan of rock music. Uh Uh-huh. And in the 70s, there was some awesome rock music to choose from. There really was. So, I'm going to editorialize a little bit more on your title, and we're going to have to call this segment... It's a long way to the top if, if you, you want to rock, rock and roll. roll. All right. Because in 1975, January, Wong needed a break. So I know Wong often needs a break in my take on what Wong's doing. But <laughs> he lives fair. for Doctor Strange. You would need a he break. Works for Doctor Strange. Yeah. And so he's like, ah, I'm going to go see some sun and surf, maybe some kangaroos, oh. some adorable koala bears, and I'm going to go see fucking ACDC's TNT tour. In Melbourne, Australia. Nice. And so that is part of what Wong's very busy January 1975 held for him. Excellent. Did he enjoy the show? Of course. What do you think his favorite song was? Oh, gosh. Hmm. It's a long way to the top. That's probably (laughs) it. I don't know if that came out later or not. Was that a Bon Scott one? It, It was. Yeah, okay. My favorite off that album is the song TNT. It is such a good song. It's probably, I think it's maybe my second favorite ACDC song. What's your first? Ah, uh, Thunderstruck. Oh, that is good. It, too. It's just, and it's on the album Razor's Edge that has maybe my least favorite ACDC song. Hmm. Uh, Money Talks. Yeah. Yeah. Just the the song's fine. It's whatever. It's a pop ballad kind of, mm-hmm. but it's 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 fine except for the fact that it has the line. Money talks, BS walks. I don't <laughs> want to hear anybody in ACDC so say tough. the They're phrase so bad. BS. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I, I mean, fucking beep it out. Like, mm-hmm. if you need a radio cut. <sighs> That's a weird choice. It really is. But I digress ever so slightly. Mm. So, the other thing that Wong was up to in January mm-hmm. of 1975, Doctor Strange had this newfound realization that homelessness is bad (laughs) and there are some people that are hungry sure so his response like his response to so many problems was to be like wong i just found this out now fix this problem i'm going to start teleporting food that you prepare all over the city onto tables (laughs) so wong's like shit uh okay and so he starts employing all of his mystic and culinary arts to just make a shit ton of food. Mm. And he's going, and he's like, this is fine, but I mean, the homeless deserve better than this. This is kind of bland. I'm going to need a lot of seasoning for this. Mm. Where am I going to find this much seasoning? And some printed advertisements had made it into the Sanctum Sanctimonious mm-hmm. for a thing that was happening in Orlando, Florida at the time. And it was a ride at Disney World that... <laughs> <laughs> he misread slightly. It was there was a fold in the page, and he's like, "Where am I going to find this much seasoning? Spice I'm going to need a mountain of spice, <laughs> Spice Mountain. There we go. That is where I will go." So he went down uh, to Disney World, mm-hmm. and once he got there, he saw that it was Space Mountain, mm. and he was very disappointed. But he did give it a little ride, That's and a great he, ride. he had a he had a real thrill 
I really enjoyed it. It reminded him of his home in the Himalayas. Of course. Uh, it's just like Space Mountain. <laughs> just like Space Mountain. Uh, <laughs> and then he he returned home to to give the bad news to Doctor Strange that he wasn't going to be able to finish preparing all of this food. And Doctor Strange had already forgotten that he had asked him to do it. Mm. Uh, and thus, the homeless stayed hungry. Most of them. I mean, they, Doctor Strange did still teleport a shit ton of food out of his kitchen onto just random tabletops around the city Mm. but then he forgot that he was doing that and uh started studying some mystical artifacts or some shit Mm -hmm. but on january 15th of 1975 wong did take an inaugural trip on the ride that was not in fact titled spice mountain and that was wong's way to the top if he wanted to rock and roll, which he did. He did, of course. Yeah, but he also went to the top of Spice Mountain. (laughs) Long way to the top, man. Those lines on opening day. Oh, boy. They were really something. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, dear listeners, and thank you for joining me, Corey. This was a lot of fun. You're welcome. If you'd like to get into touch with us... Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so. I've been so. really getting into touch with us. <laughs> That's our new podcast in which we explore tactile sensations. <laughs> get into touch with, with us. and Corey. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nobody knows who us is. Yeah, they will. Mm. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us, listeners. If you would like to get in touch with us, you can do so at ttwasteland at gmail.com. If you would like to kick us down some money, you can do that at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. Yeah, I would really appreciate that. I think we're going to have some additional expenses coming up as for part of next year, we are going to have to figure out a way to do some remote recordings and there will be costs associated with that. Zandia is a long way away. It sure is. But yeah, uh, look forward to hearing from you. You can contact me on Twitter at TTWasteland underscore. Uh, If you'd like to leave us a review on iTunes, we've gotten some new ones recently that I very much appreciate, and we would appreciate more. We've had a very busy week of downloads for the past couple of weeks, and I really appreciate that. And so thank thank you. you. Yeah. If you want to spread the word about the podcast, please do that in any way you can. I want to get as many ears on this as possible because it is... A ton of fun to do, and I hope you have fun listening to it. We love ears. Yeah, ears are the best. Mm. Yeah, super into them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh. (laughs) All right. Bye, the Vashanti. The softball. Goodbye. Bye. By the Vashanti. Hey, um, the softball. <laughs> <laughs>